Welcome to Soaring the Sky, Glider Pilots Podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I will be your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 48. This episode is brought to you by Arizona Soaring Incorporated, the nation's largest provider of professional glider training. Since 1969, they provided training from initial private through CFI Glider and entry-level through advanced aerobatics. Open year-round, seven days a week. More information is available at azsoaring.com. This week on the podcast, we chat with David McFay, who soloed his first glider at the age of 15. A couple years later, he earned his private glider license. Somewhere between the age of 18 and 19, he soloed his first powered airplane, and later, at the age of 26, he received his private power license and his instrument empowered just two years later. David also has his tailwheel endorsement, mostly flying in an Aronka Champ 7AC, including skis. David has accumulated approximately 1,100 hours in gliders and 550 in powered. He has flown a few sled rides in tandem and single hang gliders, including one aerotow tandem hang glider flight, two tandem paraglider flights, and has 40 to 50 hours in ultralights. He loves everything about flying, and will also share with us some stories flying RC gliders. All this and more here on Soaring the Sky. David McVeigh, welcome to Soaring the Sky. Glad to have you here today. How are you? Great. It's great to be with you. Uh, first of all, let me ask, where are you flying out of? Well, I currently fly from Mid-Atlantic Soaring in Fairfield, Pennsylvania. Yes, and I was out at the open house with a podcast earlier this summer. That was a great day. Yeah, that was when we met, I think, or maybe just before that. Yes, correct. So, David, where did your aviation journey get started? It got started in Cumberland, Maryland, my hometown. Uh, it will be on May the 24th of this year will be the 50th anniversary of my first flight in a glider. Oh, very cool. I'm actually looking forward to flying that same glider on the 50th anniversary. And that would be a glider that I'm very familiar with, correct? My first girlfriend, 4-6 Whiskey. That's right. <laughs> so how did your training go when you started flying gliders? Tell me a little bit about it. The training actually began a couple years after my first interest. And I really have to give a shout out to Walt Disney because everybody my age, and I'm 65 now, when we were kids, watched Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. And I happened to watch it on a black and white TV when I was in about sixth grade or so. And there was a show which I believe has never been run again, at least in prime time about soaring that was called the boy who flew with condors that made such an impression on me that when i finally saw the same show again on dvd 40 years later there were individual scenes that i remembered exactly as they were shown in the tv show from the mid 60s and so anyway i was not aware of it but my hometown of cumberland maryland was at that time uh, a uh, bit of a hotbed of soaring activity and a number of people had uh, pulled their resources and bought either one or perhaps more than one glider. 
Uh, one of them went on to hold a number of world records. A man by the name of Bill Holbrook, who um, gave me my check ride a couple of years after I'd started my training. So anyway, I uh, had gone to my mother knew a person who she thought was an instructor, and I went and talked to him, and he told me what to expect and, more importantly, what it would cost. And so I mowed a lot of yards and shoveled a lot of snow, and a couple of years later, I had the money to uh, start the training. So in, in your training and as you progressed, do you have a flight that really sticks out in your mind? People might think, oh, well, my solo, first solo really stuck out. But in, in my case, I wouldn't say it was that so much as uh, afterwards, a number of, of flights I've had with instructors really stood out. And this would have been long after I had gotten my license. Uh, one of them that comes to mind was uh, in uh, Petersburg, West Virginia, which is about 50 miles south of southwest of Cumberland uh, on the ridges, the Appalachians. And in that flight with an instructor in the back seat, I took off and climbed to 15,500 feet, uh, which would be 14.5 above the ground, and landed all in 35 minutes. It was uh, phenomenal conditions that, that day, and a number of people gained more than 5,000 meters, and uh, an even larger number of people gained more than 3,000 meters that day at uh, Petersburg. So I remember that one very clearly. And what time of year was that? That was uh, actually over the Washington's birthday uh, weekend. There's uh, frequently a number of different organizations, both commercial and clubs, sponsor wave camps at Petersburg. And uh, my, Massa has taken gliders there a number of times over the years for four or five days at a time. And if you're there for a week during that time of year, say from January to uh, April, you're almost guaranteed of getting some pretty good high altitude flying there. Yeah, and an absolute beautiful place to fly. With fantastic facilities. Yeah, it's it's just great. Um, they've arranged with the air traffic control to have a wave window so that we are able to climb up into the flight levels, you know, well above flight level 180 at times, where uh, air traffic is diverted around an area that might be, I don't really know how many, how many square miles it is, but it's a good sized area, maybe 20 by 50 miles where high altitude traffic is kept away from the gliders that are climbing. Yeah, and there's only a few places from what I understand here on the East Coast that you can actually do that. I don't know where they are, but yeah, they're limited for sure. So what type of flying do you enjoy the most? Because, you know, in this area of the country, thankfully, we can do wave and we can do thermal soaring as well as ridge lift, too. To me, that's like asking, uh, well... Of all your girlfriends, which one did you like the best? Well, presumably you married that <laughs> friend. But, uh, the, the close runner-ups, I love it all. I love it all. And I consider myself very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do, to do that for uh, really uh, a, a long period of time, almost 50 years. What are you flying right now? What's the last thing you flew? The last glider I flew is one that I have owned for about 10 or 11 years, and I call it for uh, non-pilots who are my age, they understand what a 1965 Ford Mustang is. And I call this the glider equivalent of a 65 Mustang. It's uh, called a Lebel, which is German and French for dragonfly. And it's basically a second generation fiberglass glider. Mine was 
built in 1972. The design had been around since uh, I think about 1966 or so. It's it's really good for my purposes. What's the glide ratio on that? I think the best lift to drag ratio is about 38 to one. I doubt that uh, mine is quite up to that anymore. You know, it's, it's getting a little long in the tooth, but I, I, I it's it's perfect for me. What advice would you give others on how to be a better and safer pilot from the flights you've had and the things you've learned along the way? One of the things I'd say is to learn from what people don't do as well as from what they do. And I'll give you just a really good example of that and contrast it with something else. So I was uh, at the field a couple of years ago, and there was a man who was uh, towing, ground towing his, his glider. Uh, up the taxiway to take it out onto the active runway. He's towing it with a car. And just by accident, he accidentally nudged another glider that was, the tail was uh, close to the taxiway. He nudged it with his wingtip. Well, there's no damage done to either aircraft, and both of them were not not harmed in any way. And the man who was, uh, whose wingtip touched the tail of the other one had driven, you know, maybe an hour and a half to get to the field and spent another half hour assembling the glider and had taken the time off to do all this. And he just said, that's it, I'm done. And he turned around, took his glider back, put it in its trailer. And he's just said, you know, that just put me in a bad frame of mind and I'm going to stay on the ground. I shouldn't be flying in this frame of mind. And I was really impressed by that because this man who did this is a guy who's done something that I can only dream of. He has spent time flying faster than the speed of sound in an airplane that he's flying. He wasn't just riding in the back of the Concorde. He was in control of an F-15. That's something I will never, ever be able to do. And he has done it. And he demonstrated the kind of judgment that I think we all ought to exercise every day. But unfortunately, we don't always do that. Now comes the second part of the story. I was at the time, now I'm basically retired, but I was a a pretty experienced criminal trial lawyer. And I've tried many, many cases, including death penalty cases, both as prosecutor and as defense attorney. And in any event, I had a case that was going on for four or five days and extended over a weekend. And in the middle of the trial, there was a break for the weekend, and I took my glider out and I was flying it. And things were fine. And I got down fairly low, and I'm far enough away from home that I'm not going to make it back there unless I can find a thermal. And luckily, I did. So I was scratching around in weak lift and was able to climb out. But during this time, that requires pretty intense concentration if you don't want to meet a farmer. Um, Here I am circling around, and I'm thinking about this trial. And I just thought, you know what? You should have stayed on the ground. You should have done what that F-15 pilot did and just stayed on the ground. And I've learned from that. And since then, I'd like to think that I've exercised a little bit better judgment. It's not just how you physically feel. It's how you mentally feel that determines whether or not you'll have a safe flight. A great point. Absolutely. Yeah, your head's got to be in the game because it is a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a full-time job to keep an airplane in the air without an engine and... uh, it needs your 110% attention. Absolutely. 
Now, from what I remember talking to you earlier, you have some interest also in the RC sailplanes. Is that correct? Okay. A- anything that goes in the air, whether it's a whether it's a balloon or a paraglider or a, a, a you know a regular general aviation airplane, all of it uh, is interesting to me. And so, as a kid, I'd always been interested in RC, but never did anything uh, with it until I was an adult. And then. I let life get in the way, and so I got back into RCs about uh, four years ago or so with, uh, you know, uh, and not instead of just uh, balsa wood and, and covering, fairly fragile aircraft, now plenty, most maybe, uh, at least the beginning levels, are made from foam, and so they're very forgiving, very easy to fly, uh, prices come down, quality has gone up. What's not to like about it? My wife likes it because she thinks that uh, although they tend to propagate, if you leave them alone overnight in a garage, they, they do multiply, you walk away from every crash. And so, yeah, I, I played around with RCs some and I've really enjoyed that. Again, with the uh, same as with my full-scale flying, I'm more interested in soaring RC than in uh, flying powered RC, but I do a little bit of each. And the crossover I've seen from people who come from an RC background and then go into full-scale soaring is definitely there. They have a leg up over people who are starting out without any RC background. So can you tell me a little bit about the RC soaring? Because I, I got to tell you, one day I was I was in the air. I think I was flying the 126 in Cumberland up on the ridge. Yes. Uh-huh. And not too far off, I see this other glider. He's He's coming towards me but he's well you know well aware and way a ways away from me but i realize when it starts getting closer this isn't a full-size glider what is it and and then i realized that of course it was an rc glider but very impressive i'm not sure what the scale was but it seemed like it might have been a quarter the size of what i was in so that was my first In fact, I have experienced the exact same thing that you're describing, although in my case, the uh, model was uh, a good bit below me. Cumberland, it turns out, is also, it has been for more than 50 years, a hotbed of RC scale soaring. And right at the ridge, immediately west of the Cumberland Airport, is a field that is owned by uh, an RC enthusiast who allows people to come there and fly their gliders uh, also arrow towing them and he they they go up there uh several times a year for a week at a time to fly in excellent ridge and thermal conditions there it's not limited to scale models although scale models there are really really uh well built and spectacular some of them have wingspans that are as much as i'm sure i saw some that were eight meter wingspans which is about 25 feet so about half the length of a typical 15-meter wingspan full-scale glider. Yeah, I'm sure because the one that passed me, uh, going the other way, but th- when he passed me, I was like, well, that's that's a good size. I mean, yeah, there there are some that uh, are, you know, you have to look at them very very closely to see that they're not the real thing, for absolute sure. And the RC pilots understand all that full-scale pilots do about thermal lift and ridge lift. I, I don't think they know so much about wave lift because that's just be more or less unthinkable to be able to, you know, they're, they're limited to 400 feet above, uh, 400 feet above uh, their 
release point generally. I shouldn't say release point, but above the ground for flying. So they actually take a tow plane and fly in formation with the tow plane as if you were in a full-size glider. In in scale soaring, that is done. Yes, there are there are tow planes that uh, will have uh, typically I think it's about 80 feet long, uh, a line behind them, and it has a release that can be operated both from the tow plane end and from the glider end. And the tow plane tows the glider up to altitude, and the glider releases and flies around, looks for lift, same as full scale. The tow plane lands with the uh, tow line and hooks up another one and takes it off again. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. By all means, go have a look at it sometime. It's a couple of times a year there. Yeah, absolutely, I will. I mean, it's, it's close. It's right there, right there on the ridge that, that the, we fly on. So. The detail of the modelers is really astonishing. As I'm looking at, uh, I'm just looking at this picture that was taken of the Schweitzer 233 that I soloed. That very full-scale glider uh, has been modeled by the owner of the field there, and his attention to detail is astonishing. For example, on the spoiler handle, he has put grease right where the spoiler handle passes through a, a fairing on the side of the fuselage. There is actually grease on his model. So just uh -huh. to give you an idea of the attention to detail. Wow. So what is it like for them when they're looking for thermals? I mean, obviously the controls are different. You know, you're on the ground and you're watching your glider. Is there it, any aid? There are some significant advances in the avionics, same as there has been in full scale. And in fact, the models, many of them have telemetry that uh, broadcast to the ground, to the pilot, um, all kinds of information. It's well over my, uh, the, <laughs> the game that I'm playing, so that it's not merely just a question of looking and seeing whether the glider is going up. You can receive uh telemetry information that will tell you what the rate of climb is, what the current altitude is. And if I understand this correctly, they actually fly short cross-country uh, distances, uh, one-kilometer triangles, where um, the name of the game is to get from A to B to C and back to A in uh, as short a time as possible. So they, they actually race the same as we race full-scale riders. Oh, very cool. I know you're a part of Mid-Atlantic Soaring. Yes. And I know that you all, We I just briefly spoke about it when we started the podcast, that you all had an open house. But yes, that was seen very successful and a great way to get the word out about soaring. But how did that go, getting the word out to the community? Well, you know, it's something that as I'm the one of the membership co-chairmen of the club and um People will frequently just show up there and look. And when they, when I see people who show up, sometimes they're in cars, sometimes they're on motorcycles. There's a lot of uh, organized bicycle rides that go through that area there. And they'll, they'll stop and have a look, and I always go over and ask them. And sometimes I'm struck by the number of people who tell me, well, we just live nearby here. And either we didn't know anything about it or we just happened to see it or we, we see you guys all the time and thought this would be a time to come and have a look. So the word does not get out all that much. I, I think that the best thing to do is to have open houses as we did. Ours was very successful. A couple of people have uh, joined the club who came to the open house or in the process of joining the club. And uh, I think just generally putting out the welcome back 
for anybody who happens by is the best way to do it. We also have presence on the web, which I guess just about anybody in the 21st century does, and a fair number of people find us that way. Yeah, it still amazes me, the people that don't even know about soaring. They see a glider but have no idea how it works. They don't know how we get up to altitude or, or how uh, we stay. I have time believing that without an engine they can fly. Even when I tell them that the Wright brothers in Lilienthal both flew aircraft that were totally controlled uh, without an engine. But that's fact. It is many years ago, but still the common question, what, what is a glider? How does it work? Right. Right. So I, if, if somebody shows up there, I uh, try to analogize it to riding a bicycle coasting down a hill. You still have control over it, right? As long as you're moving, you have some control. And uh, that sort of sinks in on them a little bit, but they're still a bit confused about how it can fly without an engine. What are your plans for the future? Do you have any goals as far as aviation? You know, I, I do a little bit of cross-country soaring, which means going from point A to point B, maybe to point C and D, and then maybe returning back or maybe not making it back. I I uh, am not a person who enjoys competition on the weekends because that's my job during the week. So I don't intend to do that. But flying cross-country, uh, introducing other people to it, perhaps becoming an instructor, those are all sort of you know, on the to-do list. Yeah, we definitely need more instructors for sure. Yeah, it's it's a way to give back uh, things that I've been the beneficiary of receiving. I I just don't know if I have uh, if I'll have if I'll be able to, but it's a possibility. This attracts people who are fairly deep thinkers. They're not they're not simply willing to spend their free time sitting back watching people play golf or baseball on tv they want to do things they want to create memories for themselves they want to have fun and not just watch other people have fun and there is quite a crossover between flying gliders and sailing sailboats to me it's not only the physics of it but the the spirit of it it's harnessing nature rather than merely defeating it with the with the help of an engine and uh, a propeller and it's just something that has fascinated me ever since I saw that Walt Disney show 50 years ago. And I'm just very grateful to have the opportunity to do that and to introduce other people to it. Absolutely. You know, I stumbled onto gliders trying to find a cheaper way to fly after flying some powered. And now I don't like to fly any other way. It's just, it is a truly an amazing experience every well, time you you have to admit that we need that we need that tow plane out there to get us into the air, although there are ways to do that with winches and, and auto tows and so forth. But by and large, we do need we do need to uh, burn some fossil fuel to get into the air. But that doesn't provide the magic that flying along, maybe with a with a, a, a bunch of birds right with you. In fact, that is one other memory that you, you'd asked about. Here's a memory that I have. I was flying in Cumberland. I had a passenger with me, my girlfriend at the time, who was in the back seat, and she had a camera. And we frequently join birds that are in thermals. If we see them thermaling, circling, they're frequently left and we'll go join them. But this bird did something unusual. Rather than allowing me to join it, it joined me. And instead of being on the inside of my turn, of course, they're smaller and they can turn much tighter, this bird formed up on my wingtip, my right wingtip, as I circled, and I made three or four 
turns and the bird stayed outside my wingtip for three or four circles and then went on its merry way. And there was something different about this bird than most others I had uh, ever flown with. And I came back to the ground and described this to the other people. Now, this was 1986, and it was only afterwards that they said, well, you know, there's a pair of nesting eagles, bald eagles up near there, and we think that's what you're with. And I thought about it some more, and stupidly, we didn't take a picture of the bird, but that's what it was. So this bald eagle had come and formed up on me and flown outside my circle for three or four times, allowed me to share his life for a brief moment. And it's just something that, you know, when I'm laying on my deathbed, I hope I'm able to look back and remember that because I remember today very, very fondly. What an amazing experience in the air for sure. You couldn't have done that with an airplane. No. <laughs> maybe with a hang glider, maybe with a paraglider, but never with an engine. You just could not have done that. So I think that that's about all. I hope that the listeners enjoyed it. And, you know, at any time, have a look at the uh, the Soaring Society of America's website to find out where you can learn to fly a glider yourself. Absolutely. Find your local club and take your first discovery flight, and you never know. You just might get hooked. Well, there are commercial operators as well, and they're all over the country. Good Place to Fly is anywhere where there's a glider. You are absolutely right, David. Thank you. Thanks for being on the podcast, and thank you for checking us out. If this is your first time with us, We are a weekly aviation podcast where we talk soaring and invite guests to share their adventures in the cockpit each week. There are now also 47 other episodes for you to check out, from the solo students sharing their first soaring adventures to world champions who have shared with us their journey, as well as many other great pilots that have given us some great advice and shared their soaring adventures. I know a lot of you have been listening for a while now, and it is great to have you each and every episode from all around the globe. If it was not for you, I would not be able to keep getting great guests. I'm very excited. We are growing fast. I've talked to a lot of you. And in the coming months, we are talking about setting up a meetup to hang out and meet some of you. Right now, it looks like the most likely spot would be in Oshkosh for Air Venture 2020. Have a great week. Get some flying in if you can. And next, Michelle will have all the info for you to get in touch with us here on Soaring the Sky. On Facebook, it's Soaring the Sky Podcast. On Instagram, it's the same. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Or you can send us a note on the website. That's soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky.